Hi, I'm Phil Elwood. This is my colleague Dan Shearer. We're both from the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute in Adelaide. We're going to talk to you about some of the clinical trials that have come out of the ACC here in Orlando. I think the biggest trial of the big news this week is the Odyssey trial. I do need to declare a slight conflict. I was a national leader in that trial and we were a site. But I think it really is a, a, one of those trials which will affect clinical practice. It was a trial of the PCSK9 inhibitor, alorocumab, in patients who'd had an ACS. Patients were enrolled um, within 16 weeks initially, and then that was extended to a year, and a trial with alorocumab or placebo. We followed them for uh, 2.8 years, and at the end there was a, a dramatic decrease in LDL cholesterol, and this was associated with an improvement in clinical outcomes. The lowering of the cholesterol maybe was not quite as much as we had initially anticipated at the end. Uh, in the group that were on the drug, it was about uh, 1.4 millimoles per liter, which is very similar to the improve it result. Uh, but the effect on uh, clinical outcomes was a 15% reduction. It was a composite endpoint of coronary heart disease death, myocardial infarction, stroke, and hospitalization for unstable angina. If you looked at the individual endpoints, uh, they were all significant except for coronary heart disease death. So there was a big decrease in MI, a big decrease in stroke, and a big decrease in hospitalizations. There was a strong trend towards coronary heart disease death. If you looked at other endpoints, secondary endpoints, uh, there was, uh, most of them were dec decreased, including revascularization. And uh, because of the way we did statistical testing, we can't say there was a decrease in death, but interestingly, uh, numerically, uh, all-cause death was reduced with this drug. So this is quite a dramatic change. When you looked at subgroups, there were really uh, no significant differences, but the uh, investigators pinpointed the fact that those whose LDL cholesterol was over 2.6 uh, seemed to get the most benefit. And maybe this is an uh, a group that we could target clinically. Dan, you weren't involved in the trial. What were your thoughts about the Odyssey trial? Yeah, I think it, uh, obviously a year ago we were talking about Fourier in this scenario, and I think that this is another piece of evidence that really adds to the story that PCSK9 LDL lowering has significance um, and I think it, it for people that were doubting it initially after Fourier I think this has really added to that um, I think that this will probably lead to um, a change in guidelines and obviously people are going to be talking a lot about cost um, and finding an, an appropriate sort of cost analysis I guess particularly relevant to us in Australia um, but I think that uh, this is a significant um, trial that will, will really change the way that guidelines are, are looking at PCSK9 inhibition. Yep. So the current guidelines assess 1.8 as the target uh, for, uh, in people with ACS. Do you think we should reduce that down to 1.4 or even lower? Yeah, I, I think realistically now, after seeing with Ebbinghaus that there was no significant safety issue there, and also seeing, uh, I guess obviously with Odyssey, it was specifically targeted to try and avoid incredibly low LDL levels as far as the blind swapping out to the placebo. Um, but there were still a number of patients that were getting down to sort of 15 milligrams per deciliter. Um, and I think that it's probably time to lower that further as far as a guideline. Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point. There was no safety signal at all. The only difference was injection site uh, inflammation with the drug. Uh, and we, they did have this uh, design where you didn't get really low levels of cholesterol. And that may have been one of the reasons why the end LDL was a little bit higher than we originally anticipated. I thought originally it would be down to one, but it was down to, to 1.4. Um, 
What about cost effectiveness? Uh, do you think uh, there's any? Do you think this group they've chosen is the ones where we're going to see some good cost effectiveness data? Yeah. Look, it, I, I think that um, they've had the pre-specified sort of. Um, subgrouping where uh, they had the group that had the higher LDL where they've shown the, the greatest outcome. Um, and, and certainly I think that the people that are uncontrolled despite, they had a, a really good level of, of high statin, high intensity statin use in the trial. Um, and despite that, the patients that still had significantly elevated LDL were the ones that did the best. And I think that that's obviously a group that you could look to target um, with, with PCSK9 inhibition. Um, a matter of, uh, of, of, of pricing and, and, and where it comes in, I guess. Um, yeah, well, I think the company's already reduced the price uh, in America, <laughs> so we'll hopefully see the same in Australia. That's very good. I mean, one of the issues with the trial, I think we should have to say, is very few of these patients were on azetamibe, only about 3%. I think the trial confirms the LDL hypothesis yet again, confirms that PCSK9 uh, work in the sense they lower LDL and they affect mortality and that the lower your LDL, the better. And I think an immediate thing uh, change, if we haven't already picked it up in Australia, is to really try and get the LDL down the low with the things we have got available, which is a statin and a zetamide. I think it's been interesting, some of the discussion in the immediate sort of post after the presentation yesterday has been about the, the fact that the lower groups, um, the, the, the people at baseline that had lower LDL maybe didn't have as great a benefit comparatively as what we've seen with previous sort of like the cholesterol uh, um, sort of trialists, the, the the fact that with each monumental sort of in, in each lowering of LDL that you see uh, a, a further benefit. Mm. Um, but I think one of the things that probably needs to be considered was that part of the trial where they were swapping people out um, when they got to very low levels of, of LDL. Yeah. So look, uh, I think it's a great result. We're, we were very pleased at SAMRI to be involved in that. And one of the other trials that was presented today that we were quite involved was the TREAT trial. Do you want to tell us about the TREAT trial? Yeah, so uh, the TREAT trial, uh, I guess, is, is, is quite relevant to Australia, um, given the, uh, the, the vast amount of uh, rural centres that, uh, that don't have cath labs. Uh, so this was a, a non-inferiority study where they compared ticagrelor with clopidogrel in patients that had uh, ST elevation MI um, that are treated with uh, thrombolysis. Um, and they were able to show that um, after initial loading with clopidogrel in the majority of patients that um, being commenced on ticagrelor and swapped over um, within sort of a 24-hour period um, showed uh, there was no no inferiority to uh, to management with clopidogrel. Um, I guess the, the the things probably that you'd think about with ticagrelor of uh, significance would be potential of uh, increased bleeding risk, um, and I think quite relevant there. There wasn't a, a significant increase in any major bleeding outcomes. Uh, there was an increase in uh, in non-significant GI bleeding and dyspepsia, um, but nothing that would be particularly concerning as far as changing over to ticagrelor with treatment. Yeah. So I think this is very, this very relevant to our country where 30% of the patients live in the country and are, and are not able to, to get immediate PCI but can get to a big centre within a few hours. 
And we all know that to carry law long term, at least over the first year, is better than clopidogrel. So I think that to be shown that it's safe to switch, even if they've had a dose of clopidogrel, is very relevant to our treating populations. Yeah, absolutely. And it will be interesting to follow that up. Obviously, that was uh, sort of relatively short-term data from TREAT, but they are continuing on. Um, and I think they're, they're powered to look for a 20% risk reduction um, up to 12 months. So it'll be interesting to follow up and see that 12-month data. So another really interesting trial uh, came from the Canadian group where they really invented a new disease, uh, uh, which is uh, myocardial damage after non-cardiac surgery. So they took people who may have had symptoms in an infarct or uh, just had a positive troponin uh, with no symptoms, and they put them on dabigatran, and they showed a striking decrease in cardiac events. I th everyone in the audience, I think, thought this is a new disease. Are we going to have to go doing troponins on everyone who has non-cardiac surgery? Um, they suggested you might do everyone over 65 or everyone with a uh, previous history of cardiovascular disease. I think this opens a whole new frontier. The, the thing I liked was that, that it, for me, it's suggesting that the NOACs do have a role in coronary disease as well as in atrial fibrillation, and that maybe in the future we'll be looking at combinations of antiplatelets and uh, antithrombin agents. Yeah, I, I guess obviously you have to consider sort of the, the bleeding risks as well, but it, it was quite interesting sitting in the audience and hearing that. Um, I think one of the things that I found quite striking was that 91% of the people in the trial with the troponin elevation wouldn't have met the criteria for a myocardial infarction despite having that slightly elevated troponin. And I think clinically we've all seen the scenario where we get called to see someone on the ward that's, that's had surgery and for some reason has had a troponin without any symptoms or ECG marking. Um, as you said, it's, it's a relatively sort of new disease potentially, but uh, having a bit of a read up on it, uh, some of the, the recent data would suggest that um, that elevation in troponin actually correlates to a pretty significant 30-day mortality. Um, so, uh, look, I think the, the relevant questions of uh, is this potentially just unmasking people that have uh, um, subclinical coronary disease um, and do we really need to treat them all was, was interesting um, from... Um, it, it, it's a difficult one. Yeah, it's a whole new area. We do, we do a lot of these clinical trials, we discover new drugs, but as was discussed in one particular presentation, if people don't take the drugs, there's no point in getting all this data. So Nancy Wang presented, I thought, a really excellent study from Duke around co-payments and the use of drugs. Do you want to just comment on that? Yeah, look, I, I thought that was, uh, was, was really quite interesting. Um, and I guess um, it, potentially to, uh, to Australia, where, um, you know, maybe a co-payment isn't going to be such a significant amount of money, but it, it was quite interesting to see that they looked at uh, whether people were given a voucher to uh, have a co-payment to pay, help pay for their PTY12 inhibitor on discharge um, and whether that made an out a difference in their outcomes. Um, and it was quite striking the, the benefit that those that actually received the voucher and, and went and, and actually used it. Um, had over, over, I guess, the, the placebo standard of care or uh, the breakdown when they found that actually 28% of people that received the voucher didn't actually use it. So I think we'd, we'd all presume from uh, our own clinical experiences that 28% of people in the treatment group just didn't actually take their yeah. medication at all. Um, so that, that's something that's, um, that's quite relevant to all of us. But uh, um, I think we uh, we normally send people home with about a week of medications from the hospital, but um, 
are they always taking their medications? Yeah, no, I think that's good. Were there any other trials you just want to comment on briefly uh, that you've seen today here? Yeah, look, I, I think there were uh, a, a couple of trials looking um, at uh, people developing heart failure after uh, having um, doxorubicin treatment um, and also uh, trastuzumab. Um, there, was, there was a trial that looked at the potential for carvedilol to uh, run out of Brazil, looking at carvedilol um, taken preemptively to try and prevent um, myocardial damage in the setting of, uh, of, of uh, doxorubicin use. Um, and, and that turned out to be a, a negative outcome. There, there wasn't a, a difference there. Uh, although there was um, uh, another trial where they looked at uh, either ACE inhibitor beta blocker or placebo um, in patients that are, are taking trastuzumab for breast cancer. Um, and of interest, the group that had the trastuzumab and an anthracycline-based chemotherapy um, showed a significant decrease um, in LV dysfunction in both the beta blocker group as well as the ACE inhibitor group. So um, I think one of the things that would probably potentially question about that trial was that they didn't use a core lab for a centralised core lab for their echo reporting. Right. Uh, but I think they're going to uh, follow up with that um, using Duke um, to, to assess all of the echoes with, with a centralised core lab. So it'll be interesting to see if, if those differences uh, hold up with, with one um, core lab doing all of the reporting. Okay, so we've had a really exciting meeting up to now. It's still going on. The baby some more to come out, but we've got uh, uh, a new disease, I think, uh, a new and powerful new agent for lowering cholesterol and some useful uses of older agents that we know about. But I think to reiterate the message, even if you, the people need to take the drugs if we're prescribing them for them. Absolutely.